right. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Tori. Hey, Babel. <laughs> Dude, okay. Um, I know that people cannot see what we look like. Um, and I hope you're not offended by what I'm about to say, Tori. But bo- both of us look exhausted. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm in pajamas and a robe, and it's not even five o'clock. Yeah, well... I just got out of my pajamas and my robe because I have to go to a meeting after this. Last week was very challenging, and uh, and I wrapped it all up yesterday, but I'm, like, still exhausted today. Oh, yeah. That doesn't end just oh, because no. the project ended. No. And <laughs> then, like, yeah, I woke up this yeah. morning at 4 o'clock and was like, okay, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And I was like, wait a minute. I don't have anything to do, which is, like, a lie that I don't have stuff to do. I have plenty of things to do. I just don't have schoolwork. Because I submitted my final paper yesterday for the yeah. fall semester. Ooh. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, that must feel so good. It it is it definitely feels good and it's like, what do I do with all this time now? Oh, I am sure you will find a way to fill it. If I know you, <laughs> I know that I know that you will fill it. But also I hope you take some time for yourself. Oh, Tori, I'm taking time for myself because I, you can't see, or can you? Can you see my, can you see my holiday, my holiday turtleneck? I can see it. I can see it. It's very festive. Yes. So at some point today, I'm going to decorate my home, welcoming in the holiday season. Uh, Because my kids actually uh, guilted me into it. So this weekend was Noel Noel, right? At the at the symphony, yay! Yay! And we I'm went. Sorry, I didn't get to see it. That's we okay. got rained out. The rain, the <laughs> rain, man. Um, but on you know, so I think that kind of put them in the spirit, and they came home, and they were just feeling all like, "This is lame. Our house does not have the holiday cheer that we are accustomed to." Because I do love to decorate, like I go all out. That night, it was nighttime. They start going in the garage to like try to bring the decoration. Never in my lifetime, Tori, have they ever helped me. Like I've almost died trying to get the boxes and boxes and boxes of of holiday, of Christmas uh, decorations out. And they not, never, not once in their little lives have they ever helped. They did it on Saturday. And then I was like, stop, do not do that. You're gonna like, it's making me crazy just seeing you. You're gonna hurt yourselves. So they stopped and I was like, I'll take care of it on Sunday, you know, the next day, which of course was a lie because I had to finish my paper. But then I, Sunday morning, the stuff was out because John had actually gotten, had gotten the stuff out. And that was that was one of the nicest things he's ever done. But I will tell you that it makes up for what happened on Friday. Because on Friday, I was ready to drop divorce papers. I feel like I'm a pretty low... Well, I don't know. Oh, John. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty low-maintenance partner, I think. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. live and let live. You know, we have a good relationship because he does his thing. I do my thing. We get along really well. Normally, I consider him my best friend. Normally. Right. <laughs> but right. sometimes epic fails 
cause a, a rift in the universe. So what happened was uh, Noel Noel opened on Friday night, but I teach on Friday nights, right? I teach at the, at the prison. And um, so I so John was going to go see the show on Friday night because he actually was playing on Saturday night. I said one thing to him. I was like, just text me as soon as it's over and let me know how it went. Just text me. And I kept saying it over and over to him all, like before I left on Friday to, to go teach, I said it to him. I just want to get into the car on Friday night and check my phone and see how it went over. So it's nine o'clock at night, Tori. I'm like in the parking lot, checking my phone. Nothing, no text, uh, nothing. No. And then I start texting him like, hey, Hey, are you there? Hello? Nothing. And then I see on the ring that he's home. The ring camera. No, the ring. The ring. <laughs> expletive, expletive, expletive. And so then I text my kid. Hey, go tell daddy to text me. So then, so then finally I get a text from John. And he was like, it was fine. Oh, Come that's on. it. Give me my lawyer. Get me my lawyer. We're done. 20 years down the drain. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was very upset. Very, very, very upset. And then and then he like started giving me a little bit more because I think he was realizing the gravity of the situation. All this to say that I think him being proactive, me not having to tell him to get the Christmas stuff out was his his penance for this thing. But also I have to remind myself that I did not marry him for for being that kind of guy. That he has other gifts that I appreciate, but still, right? Tori, you would get mad, right? I would be upset. Yeah. Okay. I would be upset. Okay. I I think it's justified. And I'm glad that he redeemed himself. He did. We're we are uh we're on track to celebrate 21 years of marriage as of now because of the whole Christmas <laughs> because had he not done that, I don't know. <laughs> Well, congratulations. Good job. Good job, John. Good job. <laughs> yeah, we we have a tree and it's a really nice tree. It's a beautiful, it's a it's a real tree. But because we have this new addition to our family, the eight month old, not quite a puppy, not quite a dog, a tween. <laughs> we I said I would prefer not to put any ornaments on it. And let's just do lights. And so they went and bought some blue lights. And it looks really pretty when you light it up. It does lean a bit, a little bit <laughs> to the right. When I was sitting on the couch, I said, it's leaning. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's leaning. But that's okay. It still looks nice. But I was worried that the puppy might eat ornaments that I have treasured over the years like I've collected I have some really cool Marilyn Monroe ornaments my sister every year would get me one um, and other Hallmark ornaments that are super cool they're collectibles you know like they go back in their little boxes oh wow I love those ornaments and so I don't want a puppy to destroy the puppy has already chewed on the bench that goes with my table a couple of pairs of shoes um, hey did you ever find Ron's shoe Oh, yeah, we found it. And it was unscathed. Oh, wow. But she chewed a buckle on one of my boots. Oh. What else? What else? Well, I got, you know, some not great news. I got the results of my second biopsy. 
and I have to have another lumpectomy. Oh, Tori. Dude, I'm not going to have any boob left. <laughs> They're just... That's okay. We're going to go to... I have a ton to work with, okay? <laughs> we're going to get that all fixed. Once I graduate, we're going to go get our, our plastic surgery. <laughs> My plan is to have this lumpectomy. I can't even say the word. <laughs> In the new year. I really want to go on this trip that I'm planning, you know, I'm leaving this weekend to go see my family and then enjoy the holidays a little bit before going under the knife again. Dang, Tori. Yeah. It, listen, it really could be worse. I, this is just a minor surgery that I expect will turn out just fine just like it did last year, it's it's not cancer, you know. Um, it uh, it could be worse. That that's what I keep saying. I really, for me, it's it's just hey, this is a bummer. But thank goodness they're catching things early. Like that's that's the point. That's why we go in and do these things. Is because the bottom line is if you don't. If you don't catch it early, you're looking at a lot more time in doctor's offices and surgeries and whatnot. It's, and even if you do catch it early, sometimes that's what happens, right? Yeah. But this is all in an effort to maybe, you know, the, the least amount of invasive procedures possible, the better. So, so I am cautiously optimistic. <laughs> You know, one thing that that um, my doctor at Kaiser, the surgeon, I really like her and I had my one year follow up recently. But one thing she said is try not to stress about it, which is easier said, right? But the stress contributes so greatly to so many diseases. And if you can find a way, I and listen, I have not figured it out. So, hey, anybody out there has some hot tips <laughs> on how to not completely get spun over this because I, I, I admittedly I'm not I'm a basket case I am and I recommend yeah <laughs> doing what I do which is burying yourself in work so that you don't have to deal with your emotions that has but that's stressful too yeah that's but it's a different kind too. of stress it's a different kind of stress right okay so that's my I don't know that that's healthy. That doesn't seem healthy. I don't know that that's I was going to say. But it's, but, but it's very, I get, I'm very productive. You are very productive, but I, I don't know if I, well, no, I'm going to just say flat out. I, I don't have that gene. <laughs> I don't. I start to do something and then I, I think of, uh, you know, I just get, I go down a rabbit hole. Well, I can't see, I can't even finish a sentence. <laughs> I just started five different sentences. <laughs> well, we're nearing the end of of a of a playwriting year, Mabella. I know that you had some goals for submissions, Ugh. right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, I did. Did I well, did I meet those goals? No, but I got close. You reminded me of one today. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. The Gary Garrison. 
contest. I know that by the time that we launched this episode, the deadline will have passed, but that's a that's a pretty sweet deal. And and he is fantastic. So um, it's it's an honor to even have this opportunity. And yeah, I, I I submitted to quite a few things this year. And Hannah Joyce was telling us, I think that you just never know who is reading the material that you send in, whether it's for a fellowship, or a contest, you just don't know who's reading it and what other possibilities it could lead to. It can lead to all kinds of opportunities, relationships. Um, that's that's really the key, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to looking for opportunities, I know there's a, a wonderful resource. You and I both belong to the Dramatist yes. Guild. We love to. Um, we love to talk about the Dramatist Guild and uh, and what a wonderful resource it is for you if you are a playwright. And there is a person who is uh, working at the Dramatist Guild doing doing the hard work of helping to uplift playwrights. And they have been on our radar for a while. And it was really exciting to have them on this episode. And that is Jordan Stovall who is a playwright, a queer events producer, a drag performer as Wanda whatever, and presently serves as the Director of Outreach and Institutional Partnerships for the Dramatist Guild, where they have worked since 2016. So without further ado, Tori, let's get into this conversation. Hey, Jordan. Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, welcome to Hey Playwright. We are so excited to speak with you. It's been a long time coming, right? I mean, right before we started this interview, Mabel was saying we were introduced to you through Dramatist Guild, but oh my gosh, there is so much more. Like, you're a playwright. Yeah, yeah, I'm a playwright. Hey, playwright. Hey, playwright. <laughs> I mean, you're a, you're a playwright amongst many other things. So, um, Jordan, can you tell us how you came into theater? What what is your origin story? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my origin story with theater, I, I came into it like in the middle of of high school. Um, cause before then I, I, I'm originally from Florida. So I was living in Florida and, um, didn't really have like a lot of friends growing up. Um, I was kind of a, kind of a nerd, like kept to myself and, um, like played video games and stuff like that. Only child situation. Uh, and I remember when I was in seventh grade, like I discovered writing and it was very sort of informal at that time. And, um, I had like one friend basically and uh, I was like I wrote this uh, novel about a dog named Facia who lived in New York City and it was like a stray dog and Facia uh, ate some some garbage off of the street that wasn't necessarily very good for Facia and she ended up um, being whisked away to the pound where she met all of these like um, very fantastical uh, dog characters. <laughs> like, I remember there was one that was like a collie who was like sat in the corner under a spotlight. Like when she, when Patricia like wakes up and and Lucky the collie like comes over. It's like welcome to the pound. Um, so like I would bring in like I brought in like a new chapter of this book every day to like or not every day uh, like every week or so. Um, 
to like share with my friends and like so that was just kind of like what I did and um I came into the theater in like early high school because I think like a lot of other young queer people it was like a safe haven um where you can kind of like experiment and and um have fun and and um you know be around like a lot of other like-minded people who are kind so that was really like the first time I had like a big group of friends and like supportive group of friends that I really got got on with uh so I just started doing it a lot and it became a thing that I really enjoyed and then I ended up going to college for it and moved to New York and uh that tale as old as time like that situation um and yeah it wasn't until like quite far along in my journey with theater that I realized that I could do like the writing for theater. Um, it's like, I think a lot of people don't really, you know, discover that that's like an option. Like it, it a lot of the time it's like you come into it and you're like you're performing or, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I started really uh, kind of leaning into that and then found out that I really loved it. And um started writing plays and then I started an internship at the Dramatist Guild in 2016 and the rest is history. So yeah. Yes, you're the director of outreach and institutional partnerships. Yeah. The Dramatist Guild. I wanted to make yeah. sure I got the title right. Yeah. <laughs> Try and say it uh, five times fast. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't think I can. <laughs> Tell us about what it was like to write that first play. Because like, what was it where you're like, I, I, I mean, clearly you were a storyteller um, since you were very young, but like, why, why did you decide like, this is what I want to try now? It was, um, I, well, I think like a lot of other folks too, like it was, um, I started writing it in a playwriting class and we were only really meant to write like one scene. Uh, and then I just kept really, like, I really enjoyed it. So I just kept writing. Um, but it was it was a really uh, cathartic experience for me. Um, my first play, I think this happens with a lot of people. I was it came from like a really deeply personal place, um, and helped me sort of process a lot of feelings that I was having. Uh, like as you know, I was in college at the time, so uh, you know, still sort of like processing feelings like a younger queer person and about my relationship at the time and. Uh, a lot of other things and it was based kind of on this this uh you know younger queer person that was like sort of autobiographical um who like goes to get a haircut from this um woman named renata and she's like a serbian widow um and they're very different people but they find this sort of kinship and their and their like their souls are very similar um, and they help each other heal in a lot of ways, which is um, nice. So it's that kind of transformative experience through these two people who are like relative strangers. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was very cathartic. And, and like the, it, it, I put a lot of my heart into that piece. Um, and, you know, because it was so personal, it was, it was hard for me at, at times to be able to like separate myself from it and sort of see it objectively, like from a craft perspective, but um, it, it really, I think, lent to the passion of, of writing it that um, helped me want to learn the other things to kind of help give that story, like the justice I felt I wanted to give it. 
And did you have an opportunity to see it staged? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did the Manhattan reading competition. Um, so they did like a staged reading of it. And then it went on to be produced in the Midtown International Theater Festival. So there was like a little, it was, it was sort of like a fringy type um, situation. So it was like self-produced. Um, but it was really, yeah, it was really cool. It ran for about two weeks in the Jewel Box Theater. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, I and I was just reading about your most recent play, which I would really, really love to read or see <laughs> oh staged. My- called bat queen i mean yeah you had you had me at queer play with puppets bats <laughs> and the mayan underworld so can you talk about that this newest it sounds like you you did it during the lockdown right you you yeah. were during covid so so you went from this initial writing to now something that sounds like you're bringing in so many fantastical elements so can you talk about that uh, how, how you went from, because it sounds like the first play was more of um, uh, like a linear. And, and now it sounds like you're playing with all kinds of like magical realism and stuff. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I would love to. I'm like, yes. I love this play so much. It's so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I, I, I had finished. So I came, the reason I moved to London is I, I came to do um, my uh, MFA in writing. And it was like a pretty intense course. And it was like very like theory based and like very like cerebral. And we re- rewrote two scripts for it. Um, and like that whole process was so like uh, intense and like measured um, that when I sort of came out of that, like, and I, I found my way back to writing again. And we were in the middle of like COVID lockdown. I was like, I just want to write something like fun and ludicrous and like, you know, silly and just to like get my, you know, get out of my head. Um, so I started writing this, this um, play called Fat Queen. And I don't even really like know where I came up with this idea. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's about um, an architect named Quinn, who's meant to be pay- played by a trans mask, non-binary butch person. Uh, and they have like always had this sort of passion, this love for this thing called the Bat-God statue. And that has been lost for, uh, you know, nobody knows where it is because it's in Zabalba. It's the Mayan underworld. People think it's like a legend. And um, then they recently like the, there's news that the entrance to the Mayan underworld has been discovered. And Quinn learns about it. Um, so Quinn tricks their partner to go on like a pre-honeymoon to Central America um, because their partner wouldn't go otherwise. So they end up like in this Central American jungle and their partner is not like super happy about it. Um, but they find it and they find this entry to the Mayan underworld. And when they get there, they realize that um, Quinn's archaeology team, which is meant to be there, is not. And there's just this hut with like a mad doctor uh, named Dr. Doctor, who's played by a drag performer of like any gender. So it can be like drag king, uh, non-binary, etc. And Dr. Doctor is a world-renowned bat expert uh, who's also very interested in the bat god statue, which is why Dr. Doctor's there. so they want to go get it. Um, but the problem is that the Mayan underworld is guarded by humanoid bats. 
uh, named the Bat Council, and they're underlings of the Bat God, Kamas Toes. Um, and when they learn what's happening, they're not super happy about it. So they abduct uh, Quinn's partner, Riley, and take Riley down into the underworld. So then they've got to go. So they go in the underworld and um, they have to confront the Bat God, Kamastos, who's like a giant bat puppet, um, and the Bat Council. And there's like a big rave fight scene. And um, <laughs> then they get the Bat God statue. Uh, spoiler, end of Act One. But then, you know, like the bats aren't super happy about that. So they decide to uh, take over the world. And then. Uh, they've got to like figure that out yeah oh my gosh sounds amazing it sounds amazing it sounds where did this come i mean you, I don't you know. know where this came from i was thinking, I, really I was going know. i was going why bats and then i'm like there's a because you know like during covid right yeah. there was all this oh it's linked to bats and uh, i don't know but i don't know where it came bats. from like i i just like i really love like silly like old um b movie horror films do you know what I mean? Like kind of the camp, like Barbarella, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, like that kind of like genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of, yeah, I, I wanted it was I wanted to try like writing something in that genre. I want to see it. I hope. I, it, I <laughs> so yeah. So so what are where where is this? At what stage is is the script right now? Yeah, I just wrote the I just wrote redrafted it. So I had like a I had a closed reading of it um that went really well and <gasps> was really exciting so i did some redrafting from that like closed reading and now i'm like submitting it out for things uh but if you want it i'll send it to you oh my, oh gosh. my gosh yeah i would yeah. love to read it i would love 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 to read it thank you yeah yes so just because you you mentioned uh a drag performer in that um where did that where did wanda what so you you where did the evolution... Because you were a performer, right? You got into theater in high school, so you were performing. So it's not like you were like, oh... Uh, so you already had it. It's, it. It was living in you. But when did Wanda whatever um, emerge? How did that develop? Yeah. Um, it emerged... Uh, she They emerged. Wanda emerged. Um, like when I, when I moved to London, really. Because um, when, I, when I was living here, like the first kind of year that I was living here... Um, the, this, the queer scene and like the queer community here is so saturated and open and, and welcoming in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's, there's so much going on, um, in London. Uh, I mean, to, to New York's credit, like there is as well, but it just hit me in a different way. Um, so I, uh, I had the I had a group of friends that like that did drag performance and it wasn't until I sort of went to some of the nights here like bar whatever which is like very inclusive um and more sort of like uh queer people sharing art as opposed to like what you would normally expect out of a drag performance um that I realized that there was a lot of potential with what it could be and what it could do um and I knew that, like, for myself, I still had, like, a lot of things to explore. Uh, so I just started kind of, like, playing around with it. And then, like, one thing went to another. And then it sort of became a thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, I started off in, like, doing, you know, like, cabaret 
cabaret performances is a big like uh, queer and, and drag cabaret scene here, uh, which is cool. I think it's sort of part of like fringe culture. A lot of people like will, will do that kind of um, there's the vaults festival and the underbody felt underbelly festival and um, Edinburgh. Um, so there's a big crossover with like queer performance and drag and cabaret and pantomime. Um, so it was when I kind of saw that as like a, a potential sort of outlet that I um, started doing it. And it was really therapeutic for me because I think one of the reasons I really stopped performing to begin with was because a lot of the time I felt like I was being typecast into things that I was really un- not comfortable with. Um, and and it became sort of, you know, not necessarily to, to their um, fault, it became kind of a, a damaging thing for me. Um, so it was really therapeutic to be able to, um, you like to, to make my performance and my, uh, character, so to speak, like on stage, like whatever I wanted it to be. And it was essentially like Wanda, a lot of people have like a separate character for their drag persona, but Wanda, I think for me is just like the, the volume turned up. Um, and like more, plumage maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah Uh, so i do now um i have like a bi-monthly night called fussy which is like a trans non-binary led night and it's uh once every other month at a place called dawson superstore um i used to do a, a cabaret called boulangerie um and yeah that is really awesome but also i'm curious how you said it was therapeutic and like i'm wondering has that impacted your playwriting have you made any discoveries through that that have impacted your your work as a playwright yeah i think so because um especially you know in the kind of when you're creating a drag act i mean uh a lot of that is still telling a story in a way i mean there's a lot of different spaces that drag happens in and there's a lot of different types of drag and forms of drag uh but for me um and a lot of like other cabaret performers, um, you're essentially putting together a story or a message um, in like four to five minutes. And it is in a way, you know, a, a sharing of something and you've got to do it quite economically. And like um, in a way that it you you it it's one thing to sort of do it for yourself, but it's another thing to do it in a way that actually impacts or resonates with people. Um, so in a way, learning how to do that in a, uh, was like kind of a crash course of, um, of going beyond the sort of, um, internal to external and, and thinking about what, what people are, what, what people respond to in a visceral way, because, um, I think, you know, especially in drag spaces and depending on where you are, if you're doing like a brunch or something or um, versus, you know, doing a a dedicated cabaret show where people are are sitting down, you also learn how different audiences react to different things. Um, And you learn, you know, what stories work with or not, I shouldn't say it that way, but like what stories people will, um, you know, what will kind of take in more in, in certain spaces. Um, so it's sort of, it's sort of interesting to see the, the different, um, ways in which it manifests and, um, how people respond, um, 
so yeah, I think with, with playwriting, it's, it's kind of helped me, um, I guess sort of like think about things in, in that way, or like, I guess to, to maybe be more playful. Um, mm. yeah. And it's helped me like be imaginative, I think too. So like there was one time I had this like weird idea to do, um, I was just like listening to a song and I thought, oh, it would be really fun if I had like these like blue eyeball puppets that had like big glittery lips. And I had like two people to like help me uh, to like, you know, lip sync, like backup vocals. Um, and for like, that just kind of sat in my head for months. Cause I was like, well, that's how am I ever going to do that? Um, and then like, I like had a friend who's like a prop designer. who's also like a drag performer. And I was like, Hey, can you make like eyeball puppets? <laughs> And they were like, yeah, I can do it for 50 pounds. And then they did. And then we performed it. And so, yeah, it's it's also kind of, I guess, helped me in that way of think of like, oh, you know, some t- like fun things are possible. Like it's helped me sort of be imaginative. And I love that. Everyone needs that friend who can make props, <laughs> make- <laughs> props and costumes. Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. I, I love that you had that vision or you, you had that in your imagination, but so many times we don't follow through with that dream. Right. So I, I love that you reached out, had the puppets made and I don't know, can we find that anywhere on the web? <laughs> I want to watch that too. Yeah. Oh, you can? Yeah, I have a recording of it. Is yeah. it on your <gasps> Okay. Is it on it your you. is Yeah, I want to watch it. That is awesome. So you recently wrote the intro to an article in American Theater Magazine. It was on July 21st. The title of the article was Dream While You Read A Map for Venturing Beyond Theatrical Realism. And it was an a dialogue between um Danilo. Gambini and Roger Q. Mason, but you wrote the intro. So I would love for you to talk about what you mean when you're talking about societal reckoning. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Societal reckoning, you know, I think there's been a lot of things that's been, you know, acknowledged as uh, sort of systemic issues for a long time um, in terms of like, you know, distribution of power, distribution of influence. Um, and in in the last several years, uh, I think universally, um, there's been a sort of reckoning of uh, having to not just sort of acknowledge it or, or, you know, talk about it or learn the vocabulary, but to actually deal with it and to, to figure out what that restructuring looks like. Um, so yeah, with with that particular article, um, it it sort of came about uh, as uh, the conversation initially be- between Roger Q. Mason and, and Danilo was this sort of uh, dream session of these two people who saw a common problem, or not necessarily common common problem, but a um, a common trend in um, the type of theater that was being produced or or being held up to you know a certain um, degree uh, that felt or or made them feel sort of like as an immigrant artist and and uh, as a genderqueer uh, Philippine Philippine um, black artist like 
that there that it felt maybe inaccessible or like that kind of questioning that dreaming of like you know what what is the what's what's happening here why why is this where is the barrier what is you know what are the different things and when you don't quite it can be really hard to sort of figure out what that is if that makes sense and so I think they articulate it really well and and their exploration of like the history behind um, behind uh, like Eurocentrism and realism and that entire movement uh, and uh, onto onto the Western stages of of like you know the the real the realism uh, plays like you know the the everything sort of happening in the living room, you know, long day's journey into night. Um, and I think this is a subversive example, but like the little foxes and like the Ibsen's and doll's house and, you know, all the classics you think about, you think of like what the quote unquote, like the well-made play and how we got there. And, um, the, the article in that conversation is sort of that dream session of like, what, what else, you know, who, how do other people tell their stories? Um, you know, because you, you look at cultures all around the world and, and the history, cultural histories and, uh, different factions of people have different ways of, of manifesting and telling those stories. Um, and they're not necessarily all, uh, linear and they're not necessarily all, uh, realist plays. And like, you know, obviously, uh, we're, I'm kind of using that as like a specific, example and not everything that's being held up is that but um it's it's an inspection of that and the introduction is sort of contextualizing the that conversation and and rooting it in the and in a message to sort of like you know specifically like literary departments and and folks who are reading plays uh, because the 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 real infrastructure under play development and play production um, comes down to like that selection process and the readers and there are so many different little sort of parts of that mechanism. Um, so that conversation and the introduction sort of grounds it and the idea of well maybe we can think about uh reading plays and and maybe a different way if you have a rubric that might be sort of uh centered or or anchored in that sort of way of thinking in the well-made play (laughs) so i think about i think about theater um and just it's a paradigm shift it's looking it's asking people who have been thinking a certain way for hundreds of years to to think differently. So, um, how? Do, I mean, this is a big question. You might not have an answer for it, but like, how how do the wheels start turning in a different direction? Uh, what is the what is the <laughs> what are the steps that that yeah. that folks can take to to think about work differently? Especially when you know that you're getting, you know, for these opportunities, uh, you know, just random people can sign up to be readers um, and and they're not used to seeing things other than the well-made play. Mm-hmm. So what do you, any thoughts on that? I mean, a pipe dream? Yeah. Just a dream? <laughs> 
It's not. It's not just a pipe dream. And you know, the, the reason I can say that is because there are plenty of theaters around the country that are doing it really well. And like, I think those are the spaces that that have so much energy and like the people that go there and and that find them to be their community spaces and people uh, find it, they're really exciting because uh, sometimes you don't know something that's really awesome until it's in front of you. You know, and there's a long journey uh, that that um, kind of goes behind that. You know, the public didn't just become the public, right? Um, and so, uh, how how do the how do the gears start shifting in a different direction? Um, there's there's a lot of different parts to that, um, and it, it's a bit messy, I think, as we're as we're seeing and the, how things have been the last couple of years. Uh, it's a bit messy because, um, you know, everybody's got sort of this uh, different idea and you have people who aren't necessarily, you know, on board with, with the shift or it's it's uncomfortable or they may want to make the shift, but they don't know how. And so it, it comes with a lot of different pieces. Um, but I would say sort of like overall is... Uh, you know, engagement and, and figuring out like, who, who's missing, you know, like looking around and saying, who's missing, who's missing from your audiences, who's missing from your stages, really ask, like, digging into asking that question, um, and being honest with yourself, and then uh, figuring out why, and there can be like a lot of different reasons why. Uh, is it, is it, uh, a barrier for a socioeconomic barrier is it uh, that people just aren't they don't feel they don't see themselves on stages they don't feel welcome somewhere or you know there's a lot of different um, pieces to that but I would say ways to um, think about making those shifts uh, is staff trainings uh, I think mm. that's like kind of um, like an obvious answer but it's it's helpful to really like dig in and have to deal with those hard problems internally first um so that you make sure that everybody has like the same set of values um and the same idea of what are the priorities in your organization um so i think you you do have to set those internal priorities first and it has to come from you know somebody in in uh, a position of influence or who might be sort of uh you know directing or and or somebody uh enough people in the the collective staff that really feel the same um because when you have that dissonance then you have something that's like what happened at like victory gardens for example or what's what's ongoing there uh, we're not here to talk about love tonight, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, people who are listening to each other, people are interested in asking those uncomfortable questions. Once you, you set the priorities internally, then you get to answer the questions of like, uh, how do we reach outward with this work? How do you, you know, what, what are the problems and, and, um, you know, uh, taking it piece by piece, because there's a lot of different parts to that mechanism, but being realistic about the work, uh, being modest about it, um, being willing to reach out, being willing to talk to other people or ask other people who are doing it well, how they did it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to arrive at um, 
or not arrive, but to, you know, get that momentum going. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that we are, that we are like, I uh, clearly it's not going to be a global thing. I, I just, not that much of an optimist, but do you think that that meaningful change is happening in some spaces or is it, is it just a moment? I think so. Um, and the way re- reason I say that is um, we just went to TCG in June. Uh, it was the uh, theater communications group conference. And I have to say like that, that particular week was really um, affirming in a lot of ways because the, the people that are arriving there, you know, are people who are interested in engaging with these conversations mm-hmm. and also asking the question like why and how and uh, and idea sharing. Um, and I met a lot of folks there that really were out there like doing the work and like um, doing really cool stuff and, and sharing um, a lot of uh, progressive like ideas and, and thoughts. I mean, uh, and, 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 you know, closed spaces. And, and so that, that gave me this, this affirming feeling, I think, because, especially because of uh, the States as a country is so spread out and there's so many ecosystems, you know, it can be really um, easy to sort of feel like you are either alone with that work or sort of the only person doing that work or, you feel like, um, you know, depending on where you are geographically, you might have your own set of challenges, depending on sort of what, what, um, you know, the ge- geopolitical climate is and wherever you are. Um, so there's a lot of different factors to take into account. And the answer is different for everybody, honestly. Um, but having those conversations and engaging in them, um, I think in a network of, of support that way, it, it was really cool to see how many people from different places were really interested in, in sharing these ideas uh, and that were also interested in continuing the conversation and like staying connected afterwards. Um, so I do think it's I do think it's happening. And I, I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest, um, by how many uh, like younger queer people were there, how many uh, like how much representation was um, was in the population of people at that conference. Cause I wasn't expecting it. I'm not going to lie, but it was really cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. A reason to hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you working then, especially in your position at the DG to help, to help facilitate some of this? Cause I know that you have started or you're working with uh, a group, right? The, the new visions fellowship. Yeah, the New Visions Fellowship that came as a, um, a it came from a collaboration collaborative effort with the National Queer Theater, and we began a conversation with the National Queer Theater when our New York City regional rep at the time, Winter Miller, um, sort of brought them in to do a Dramatist Guild event. So they did uh, uh, they did like a social for. Um, trans femme and non-binary individuals and they did it as a collaborative effort with the national queer theater and we just kind of kept talking and um talking about like ways in which you know we might be able to sort of provide uh support or infrastructure for um folks we're not seeing being produced because there are very few trans non-binary playwrights 
um, and figuring out how to maybe do something about that. And one of the answers to that was our, the fellowship that we've been doing for the past year. So the New Visions Fellowship um, came between National Queer Theater and Traumatist Guild. And uh, we just had our first year. And it's a fellowship for Black, trans, and gender nonconforming playwrights. Um, we had two fellows, um, Nick Hadikwa Maluko from the Bay Area um, in Northern California, and Ayla Shang-Chi Sullivan. And we had three finalists as well, Storm Thomas, Alexander Paris, and uh, Catching on Thieves. And we've tried as much as possible to like figure out ways to like, you know, um, nurture them, support them, help them develop. Roger Kimason was the lead mentor for that. Um, and we did a showcase in February called the Jubilee for a New Vision. And that was um, at MCC Theater, and it was part of Carnegie Hall's Afrofuturism Festival. Um, and we brought in all of the finalists and the two fellows to showcase about 15 minutes of work uh, with all other um, queer uh, actors and performers. Um, so it was really cool. Um, and we just finished the first year. So, uh, yeah, was, that's, that's, you know, the, that's one way in which we've done it. Um, there's been a lot of other things that we've been working on on the side in terms of like, um, access and support and, and, uh, figuring out how to create sort of specific resources for, um, different communities of, of people, um, so, uh, you know, we have a, a group of, of black dramatists in Atlanta uh, named Tertulia that we helped get a, a sort of a, a residence at the Alliance Theater. Um, it, it comes in like little pieces. Do you know what I mean? Um, we had a group of, of uh, regional reps, uh, Diana Bourbono in Southern California, um, our two regional reps in Puerto Rico, Tere Martinez and Brigitte Belut Davis. Um, Elaine Romero in the Southwest and a, a couple of other folks who came together and did a working group for uh, language inclusion. And they've, they did uh, three public events with the Dramatist Guilds on talking about the import of um, identifying theaters that are, that will read scripts in other languages than English that will produce scripts in other languages than English. Um, and we created sort of like a special uh, category in our resource directory for people to see um, if if you write plays in a different language or if you write them in Spanish specifically for, for uh, the purposes of this working group, um, where were you, where was it worth submitting to? Do you know? Um, oh, so things holy. like that. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that existed. Yeah. Is, is it on the website? It's on the Dramatist Guild website see this is like this was actually the reason we were gonna like pick your brain about all the reasons people should join dramatist guild and um and mabel and i were and just we talking about language inclusion and and that's so funny like literally oh just this morning we were talking about plays in spanish or that have spanish in them and uh, ah! wow okay <laughs> So, so sometimes it's hard to find things, but that might just be user error. <laughs> no, there's so much stuff. It's uh, like, I don't even know what half of it is half the time. But uh, yeah, it's the, the resource directory. Um, okay. <clears throat> our resource directory is like our compiled list of resources. And 
there is a filter on the resource directory um, specifically oh. for that. So like, I think it's on the left, the left hand sidebar. Um, you can filter results by like specific requests. So like, you know, um, if you have like uh, LGBT interests or, or, you know, Spanish language um, is one of the options as well. Um, there's a lot of different options there. Yeah. So, which is a beautiful segue into Jordan, why should people join the Jordan Guild? Because <laughs> uh, it's great. It's cool. Um, why should you join the Guild? You know, I, so like the, I know that's a big, the big question. Um, everybody has a different answer. I think it's really interesting. Like in the, in the magazine, um, they have a segment running segment called why I joined the guild and they, you know, ask different people why they joined. And it's interesting to see the, the answers, uh, cause it's different for everybody. Um, <clears throat> but what, what you kind of see or sometimes is the trend of like why people join the guild is because, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people come to the guild when they have a problem. Uh, sometimes, you know, when when you are a creative and you are a dreamer and you uh, want to engage with like all of these uh, different beautiful things, um, it's like kind of sobering to learn sometimes that there is also a business um side of it and when you get to that place uh not everybody is going to be doing good business um you know and it's just kind of like anything else and you know when you a lot of times people will come to the guild when for example they have been handed a bad contract and they've signed it and they didn't realize it was a bad contract uh or they you know, have run into an issue with, with, a some sort of, you know, uh, copyright infringement or anything, anything like that. So from a practical standpoint, joining the guild is, um, a sort of preventative care measure, um, because it allows you to, you know, if you have like, for example, if you're sort of starting out and, you get handed your very first production contract. Yay. Um, congratulations. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're not lawyers. Like we don't know how to read a contract, you know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you can request to have somebody from business affairs, like, like look through that with you and, and tell you, um, sort of what to look out for. They're not going to like tell you what to do all the time, but what they'll do is they'll, they'll give you insight and they'll, uh, you know, help, you know what you're looking at. Um, so from, from like a practical perspective, um, it's like, you know, widening your team of support um, for people who are able to help you in that way. Um, and then sort of beyond that, it also, you know, allows you to connect with your wider creative community. Um, and uh, so the three sort of pillars of, of what we do is like community, um, resource support and, um, you know, counsel and advice, um, and, uh, sort of like, like, you know, career advancement, uh, I think incidentally from those things or career sort of, uh, development opportunities. Um, cause it's sort of ambiguous, our, our industry, like the creative industry and, um, it just, it helps you connect to a wider group of people with similar interests. 
Uh, we offer like a lot of um, free like webinars and informational webinars and videos as the industry shifts as well. Like we try and keep up with it. Like when, you know, the pandemic happened and everything went online and nobody knew what a good business practice was for doing live streaming contracts. Um, you know, the business affairs department came together and was like, well, what is good business practice for that? And then, you know, came out with, with the live streaming agreement. Um, so it's, it's constantly anticipating like an evolving industry and, uh, figuring out how to sort of like respond to those things and how to provide support to people and, and, and answers to people. And in some cases also like learning with them, it's like, you know, we're people too. So, um, and right now, you know, a large portion of my work is, is figuring out like, um, who, who's not been, who's not being produced in the American theater, who's not been produced in the American theater, um, who, you know, may not join the guild for any number of reasons because they, maybe they don't feel welcome there. Um, you know, because with any sort of large institution, sometimes the similar, uh, problems can happen. Um, and, and figuring out how to, uh, how to, how to, um, dissolve those barriers slowly. Um, yeah, so the guild's a cool place. <laughs> it's a lot of cool people. It is a cool place with a lot of cool people. And actually, so Jordan, how did End of Play come about? Because that's like, that thing has been very fruitful for both Tori and me as, as yeah, writers. We've, 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 we've done, we've had some successes with stuff that we generated through uh, through that. So like, how does, how did that come about? Cause that's yeah, not that's that, how, that's, that, that's how we met, right? We met. That's totally how like, we met. Yes, that's totally, I think, cause I we think would get your emails. We would right? get your yeah. emails. Yeah. And, and then Thelma, like, Thelma Verada de Castro, who's a friend of ours said, you know who you should interview? You should interview Jordan Stovall. Yeah. Oh, like, oh Thelma, yeah. thank you. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then our paths crossed again because Mabel and I as Hey Playwright went, oh, we should host, uh, you know, a writing check-in for, in the play. So that was really fun. And now here we are. And now here Aww. we are. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> See, that's why you yeah. enjoyed the guild because things cool that's, things like this yeah. happen. Like this whole podcast is like. You know. <laughs> so how long has in the play been around? Uh, in the play has been around for a while, right? No, not it's not, not been it's two, like three or four. wait three. In a play has been around for four years, so we just finished our fourth year, and the Dramatists Guild, sort of at its core, is an advocacy organization. And when we think about how um, we're able to sort of. Um, engage with with actual craft because we're a, a, a guild of writers and people who love to make and and create together uh we don't have like a lot of the same liberties as for for example like production companies or or like regional theaters or local houses um so figuring out how to like get people together and and to write can be sometimes like kind of challenging um so you know we had we had this group of 10,000 members and like the wider uh, community of, of theater makers and, and, and writers um, who a lot of the times were sort of like expressing the same problems of like getting stuck or, or feeling like they, um, 
you know, they, they always had this idea of like wanting to write something or, and, and that they, you know, for whatever reason, didn't feel like they had the motivation or you hear like plays, you know, taking long, long periods of time to, to actually like write something. And these people were so hungry to like have a, a reason to get whatever this thing is out of them. Um, so our office manager, Lily Joskin, actually, like this was originally totally like her idea. She was like, mm-hmm. you know, what if we did like, uh, what if we did like a challenge month? We're like, write a play in a month. And I was like, I love that. Let's talk. <laughs> Yay. Um, and she was like, really? I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, let's do that. That sounds great. Um, and I don't think either of us really realized at the time, like how, like what it would become and turn into. Um, so it's, it's so incredible to see. I think, uh, we learned, especially like this last year, um, that it is the most prolonged period of, of uh, active engagement from people uh, with like each other, with events, with uh, with um, guild resources, with workshops, etc. Um, it, it's so I mean some of the best moments of like what we do, what we do is when we see uh, people coming together and that energy of excitement and refreshment, especially because, you know, th- it can be hard to be creative sometimes. So like seeing that positive energy and that, 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 um, reaff- that, that space is so fulfilling to us too. Um, so it's been so incredible to see it like grow to what it is. And then um, I think our second year, is when we started the readings with 24-hour plays. So the 24-hour plays now um, comes in and uh, gives 50 uh, closed table reads to anybody who writes a script uh, or finishes a script during end of play. Um, and they do it on a first-come, first-served basis, and that's open to anybody who participates in the month. Um, so it's also sort of a, you know, a way of like acknowledging that, you know, people have different writing styles, everybody has different sort of needs, but it's, it's a time in which you can explore that knowing that, you know, a group of like 15 other people are going to be kind of diving in and doing the same thing. And, uh, regardless of where you are in terms of your experience or your relationship with playwriting or, um, if you call yourself a writer or if you don't call yourself a writer, but like everybody who writes should call themselves a writer, um, you know, you know that they're starting on the same ground together. You know, when you start that month, you're at the same place as every single other person there. Um, and anything can happen from that. So, um, yeah, every April, um, and to play. Love it. That's awesome. We are nearing the asking for a friend segment. Of a play, right? So here is our question to you. If Wanda, whatever, could have breakfast with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, oh I love this question. Um, so many options. So many options. Okay. If Wanda could have... Dinner? Was it dinner? No, breakfast. Breakfast. Okay, breakfast. Um, Oh my goodness. And Wanda specifically. You know, I I think 
I think it would have to be the first person that's coming to my mind right now is Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but I just, I would, I think that would be a very lovely breakfast. <laughs> um, I would just, I would just love what I see here, what she has to say. <laughs> yes, I, I wonder then at what point in Elizabeth <laughs> yes, Taylor's yes. life. <laughs> yes, follow-up question. Are we talking like yeah. 20, 21-year-old Elizabeth or 19-year-old or Elizabeth who's Taylor? Afraid of or Virginia Woolf? Virginia Woolf, Elizabeth yeah. Taylor, yeah. right. Um, you know, well, how long is breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, why choose? I love it. Uh, I love it. And also, like you know, the law, the, the laws of um, physics. Maybe we can have a different version for each uh, each course of dinner or breakfast. Because this will be like in the play, yeah. but a month yeah. of breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, thirty uh, days of breakfast with Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> oh my gosh. <gasps> to be Jordan, it's I'm next here for play. that. <laughs> I am here for that. And each day she's like a different Yeah. Age. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. What a dream. I love that. Oh. Nice. All right, Jordan. Um, do you have a writing prompt for us? Yes, I do have a writing prompt. Okay. Um my writing prompt is uh, one that I hope will uh, give some joy to people. Um, and because I think like that's, you know, writing for joy right now is like a fun, a fun thing to try. Um, and it can be really serious what we do sometimes as playwrights. We're very serious, serious people. We got a lot of, a lot of thoughts. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do something I'm hoping it's like joyous and, and fun, which is like, um, Think of, uh, in terms of a setting, um, think back on the last six months of, uh, of your life um, and think of a time and a place that made you really happy um, and think of where that was. Where were you when that moment happens and that you were feeling really joyful and for whatever reason, maybe it was a quiet place. Maybe you were by yourself. Um, maybe you were with other people. Um, so pick that as your setting. Um, and then, uh, find three characters and one of them is in a mascot suit of some kind. Um, and one of them is a circus artist and one of them is an industrial worker of some some concentration which is up to you now uh and they're all in this place together uh doing something very important to all of them uh right that <gasps> oh my gosh i love it how Talk fun. about creative yeah, it, it makes me smile just but oh <laughs> so that is joy that is mm-hmm. a recipe for joy i love it that's so beautiful i see it that's it that's the title yeah. of the exercise 
<laughs> it's already written in a my head. For joy. I see yeah. it already. Um, awesome. That's thank you for that wonderful, joyful prompt. That's I'm really I'm actually really excited to to write that. Um, Jordan, where can people find yeah. you if you want to be found? Oh my goodness, where am I? <laughs> where am I? I don't know where I am half the time. Um, you can you can go to my website, um, jordanstovall.com. Um, I'm also at the Guild. Um, so uh, you can write to me at the Guild anytime. Uh, if you have like a Guild-specific question or something related to your... Um, to your career as a writer, um, you can email me at um, jstovall at dramatistguild.com. Uh, if I don't have the answer, I will connect you to somebody who does. Um, and, you know, we're all very open people who are interested in talking to anybody. Um, so, and we'll, we can connect you to maybe another guild member who, who does or has similar interests. Uh, so if you have a guild question, you can email me there. Um, if you want to read my work or interested in my creative work, uh, jordanstoval.com or new play exchange, I'm on there. Uh, and if you want to see, uh, all of the wild stuff that Wanda does, you can go on Instagram, um, at Wanda dot whatever. Um, and, and, and see that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. This has been a super, super um, fun, enlightening, uh, joyful, and hopeful conversation. So thank you, thank you for taking the time to, to be with us today. Thank you, Jordan. We we truly appreciate your time. I didn't even think to ask you what time oh. it is in London right now, but oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Is it is it daytime, nighttime? What it's time? time for a glass of wine. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> it's not okay. 904, 904. Um, but no, when you, when you all emailed me, I was so excited. And um, I love, I love these kind of like, you know, full circle moments where, cause, cause, you know, I'd seen you doing stuff and, um, and, and end of play. And then I, you know, ended up looking at more on your podcast and saw all the awesome people you've had. So I was super excited to come and do it. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're, we're just so grateful. Thank you. And it, it truly has been a pleasure. I am very much looking forward to reading and seeing Bat Queen. Um, so everyone, we will put information up in the show notes so that if you want uh, to look up Jordan's work or contact them at the Guild, you can do that. And thank you again for sharing your wisdom and your light and your joy. We appreciate you. Thanks, folks. Oh, what a great conversation. I loved learning about all of their forays into yes! I would yeah. We brought them on to talk about Dramatist Guild and learn so much more about their work. So that's pretty I love when that happens. All right, Tori. What do you well, I was ask, I was gonna ask what you have coming up. There's some things in the in the works, but uh oh, there was a a piece about the BIPOC superhero, the TYA BIPOC superhero project. So I will be working with Northwest Children's Theater and School in Portland, Oregon. And I will be working on a commission for them. And I met with them last week and I'm super excited about the project. So hopefully um, more to come on that. And Tori Vans released Cobra Kai shoes 
And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to buy my final pair of shoes in 2022, which are going to be the white Miyagi-Do high tops. And then I'm going to put myself on a shoe moratorium for 2023, which means, and I'm putting it out here, I'm saying it publicly so people know, I am not going to buy any shoes in 2023. Now, for those of you out there who think like, oh, big deal, I don't buy shoes. Like, you know, the last time I bought shoes was like in 2002. I'm not that kind of person. I have a problem. I admit it. I especially have a Vans problem. I admit that. But what a time to be alive when there are Vans shoes that pay homage to the Karate Kid. I mean, come on. We're going to have to put a link in the show notes to those high tops. Oh, yes. As well as to the American theater blurb about the BIPOC superhero. Yeah. That was exciting to open that email and see your noggin (laughs) along with all of those other, (laughs) along with all of those other fabulous playwrights. That was, that was exciting. I think I might've screamed. Babel, <laughs> you're in American Theater Magazine. Happy to be. Not that it's not not surprising. I'm I'm just honored to all. be invited in. Thank you to Jose Casas for and 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 to Alvaro for always advocating oh my for gosh. me. What about you? What you got going? Uh, on? You I know I what you got this... going. On. No, you have a big thing going on. I know you're not at liberty to talk about it, but like, girl. Yeah. I know. Clock is ticking. Let's go. The clock is ticking. I have a deadline and that's that. And yeah, I just, you know, the the problem I have, you said you can bury yourself in work and you don't think about it. I, I, th- I have the opposite problem. When I have these other issues going on, it's really hard for me to zero in, you know? Yeah. But it it's, it's fine. I'm going to make it work because it's such a fantastic opportunity all right all right miss tori well you know i'm not good with these with these situations so i i just i want you to know that i am sending all of the positive vibes and that i don't send to anybody because i'm not that kind of person (laughs) but so i keep sending them all to you and I'm sending oh, you thank love you. Thank you. and and all the goodness. And I'm so grateful for you. And I hope that, that this is just a blip in an otherwise extraordinary next 12 months for you. So. Oh, thank you. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Cool. All right. All right, Tori. We're really going to try to roll out a bunch of episodes now that, now that I'm on break. Um, we have so many good interviews in the can. Like, mm-hmm. bro. There's some I know. There's some great stuff coming up. Like the the us closing out the season is just ah. So anyway, uh, it's so good. Yeah. Stay tuned. Like, subscribe, share, follow all the things. Um visit us on heyplaywright.com. We'll we'll talk soon. All right. Bye playwright. Bye playwright. <laughs>